0: God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: This episode is part of a long series exploring the rise of Christian fundamentalism in the United States through the Scopes Monkey Trial. The season's basically already over, but until we have season six come along, I have some bonus episodes. So, This is not a normal episode of Truce. It doesn't include the edits and fancy music and stuff, but I still think you're going to like it. Hey everybody, welcome to the Truce podcast. This is Chris Starrin, the host. I'm super excited to have you here. As you heard at the intro, this is not a normal episode of Truce. We're just kind of getting a group of guys together to talk about some of the themes of this season and some of the takeaways. I'm joined by some voices that you may recognize from this season. First of all, Pastor Ray McDaniel.
2: Hey, hey, here Hi. I am.
1: Yeah. All right. Nice to have you, Jackson, Wyoming. And my twin brother, Nick Starin. Hello there. Nick is a is the church secretary here. We made two feature-length Christian films together, and uh, he helps me in so many ways on the different episodes, so I'm always excited to talk to him. So one of the takeaways that I've been really struck with this season is that we as Christians can't be a people of the, the ends. We have to be a people of the means because there's that old phrase, the ends justify the means, and then you can get away with whatever you want to get away with by that idea. And I think that we're really supposed to be a people of the means. That's how we'll be judged. That's really the important thing. By the way, I thought I invented that idea, and I'm not. (laughs) I did not. Unfortunately, I've seen it quoted by other people, and I wasn't able to track down the origins, but I still think it's an important principle. Um, So what what does that bring to mind for you guys when I say that we are the people of the means, not the ends? For
3: me, so often it seems like in Scripture, it lays out some paths of what we are supposed to do and some things to stay away from. It's day-to-day things. And as I was praying about this this morning, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself kept coming up because I think if we keep worrying about tomorrow, we're worried about some outcome of something way down the line and we're not focused on what we're supposed to do today. Uh, our vision can get clouded and our day-to-day can be can be messy because I think what we're supposed to do is be faithful with what we're given every single day and just take that step forward. Uh, if we make all these grand plans, I think we lose we lose out. and An example that comes to mind even for us was uh, working on the movies. We used to make Christian films. We were so focused for years on this this outcome that we really did miss the people who were around us, the people we should have been evangelizing to the whole time, the moment to enjoy. And it's not to say that making Christian films is the problem. It's just that my focus was on this end thing and not on the day-to-day people who were around me how is my walk going? How's my connection with the Lord going? And I really suffered in those years. Uh, so I think there's a real beauty in focusing on what's there today, and and kind of letting go of some of those other things. And God already has the end done. He already has that figured out. It's not for us to get there. It's for us to just be available today to do His will and and reach out as best as we can.
1: Man, what is that? I mean, how do you practice that though? How do you how do you do that you know because you have to have goals to survive, you know you have to pay your bills, you have to get to work on time. how How do you stay a people of the means?
2: When you go to work on time, you deal with the people that are there with you in a way that's gracious and loving and caring. you listen to what they have to say and you try to join them in the moment. I think that the verse that just brought you what you brought up kind of brought me to Ephesians. Uh, 2.10, that there are these steps that God has prepared for us in advance that we would walk in them. And so recognizing that you are taking steps every day, one day at a time. I mean, that's a a concept in recovery that you can only live life one day at a time. So for today, I'm fine. For today, I'm listening to the direction from God. I don't have anything left over. I'm, I'm confessing and walking forward. I realize that I have flaws but I trust him with my flaws. I trust him with my failures in the past, and I look to doing what it is that he has for me to do. I'm, I'm supposed to be writing a little blurb, I call it, for something for the church, and a bunch of people are doing this together. So each day they take a chapter, and I'm at Exodus 14. So it's the Red Sea. And God tells Moses to take this enormous group of people to a place that they cannot defend themselves. They have to trust him. That's the point. And the enemies behind them say, they're wandering in the wilderness. They don't have any idea what they're doing. This is our time to take over. Well, God makes a way when there's no way. But it really does take humble trust of God to, to do the right thing in the moment, instead of saying, okay, what we want is this end.
1: Which might be a good thing.
2: It, hopefully, it is a good thing. <laughs> hopefully, it's a great thing. We want this outcome, and so... God, I hate to do it this way, but that's not a good way to live life. It is uh, to be faithful with what we have been given uh, to accomplish what God has for us in the steps He's asking us to walk today. That's my opinion.
1: I, I want to take these basic concepts and kind of blow it up. It's, it's easier to talk about a one-on-one relationship, uh, to your day-to-day life, and that stuff's important. But when we're talking about a whole movement like fundamentalism, it, it makes it much more difficult because these guys were involved in culture wars Mm -hmm. and I guess continue to be involved in culture wars. And do you have any thoughts about that? How do we as movements deal with these kinds of ideas? Uh, How do we realize that it's the, the means and not the, not the ends? That
2: is an excellent question. (laughs) (laughs) That's a politician's answer. (laughs) That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. Let me pivot to my, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's my my stump
3: (laughs) speech here. I think it's really valuable to to realize I think we're we're largely called to day-to-day ministry. And so some of these big movements where you're trying to control massive amounts of people, I think you can you can lose track of real people are involved. That's something I struggle with. I know it's not popular. We're a very leadership based culture. We're a very movement. I want to be a part of something. Jesus should be our only movement. And we should be able to unite around that when we fraction into these big movements that want to nail everything down and have all the answers and be the only thing. I think we cause division and I think we we cause strife. So it's hard for me to relate and say that this is the problem with fundamentalism or this is the problem with this movement or this movement. Because really, I think our movement is 100% Jesus and should be individuals in their community, working together, united in a front with Christ. Ray and I got to be a part of somebody's baptism yesterday, which was very special. And one of the things I I felt compelled to say to her is, like, you are now a part of the global body of Christ. Anywhere you go in the world, a brother or a sister is there with you. And I think that's the the picture of the movement that we should be a part of, rather than (laughs) tie our wagon to some... Some, some train, which may have great intentions and may have something really special about it, and it may—I don't know. I don't have a full thing, but my, my pull would be that we focus on a capital C church that focuses on Jesus and remain there rather than fraction off, start our thing, start our movement, get our followers to subscribe and like. Uh, <laughs> that's why you keep saying about your podcast, which I think is really great, is you don't want this to be a movement. Um, because we're already a part of something. So it's hard for me to say, like, as fundamentalists, this is what they should have done. When I think as a larger church, we need to, to throw down our arms, stop a fight over the culture wars, just do what Jesus said, and that shows radical change. Amen. When people, say, <laughs> I get a little choked up, but the other thing is, I kept when I was talking to this lady, um, she's, she came in seeking help, I kept feeling like, just spend time with her just spend time with her cuz we're in such a hurry to check all these boxes go down the roman road say these verses be the just being there and hearing her opened up the door for her to cuz she she came and talked she wanted to talk about something else and we talked for a long time and then even after the baptism i was here late last night with her just just being with her and i think that's where we need to be as a church. So I'm sorry it doesn't answer your question. No, it does. I think think that would be so beautiful to see people just interacting. And and that lady came here because of another person who was faithfully in the community, who talked to her for a while, sent her here, uh, because he was running out of time, and and we were able to pass it along. And as a community, we can do that. We can be out there talking to people, meet them where they're at, hear them for what they need, and and really, truly listen and help.
2: For me, I think that commercialism has seeped in, uh, beyond seeped in. Marketing and commercialism has seeped into the process to the point where we are thinking about things in business terms.
1: Yeah, hold on a second, we're gonna go to commercial. Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Rather than biblical terms.
1: Yeah. One of the things that's really struck me in the last few seasons has been the idea that things get complicated when they get bigger. Yeah. We talked about the United States and communism and the fight against communism, which was and I guess in some ways, kins continue to be a real threat, mm-hmm. especially when it is tied with godlessness and atheism and forced atheism. I should say, the the hard thing is that at some point we have to face big problems as a people. Uh, you might think about uh, you know trying to face racism in the South in the fifties and sixties and things, and the work of Martin Luther King Jr., who I know is one of your favorite yep. writers, and uh, that that is. A real systemic, we as a group need to take care of something. Uh, One of the things that I've struggled with with the fundamentalists, and and maybe people have noticed in this season, I have been kind of easy on them (laughs) in some ways, uh, because I realized we must face bad doctrine Mm -hmm. at certain points. And that is difficult to do on an individual level. At certain points, organizations and things have to face bad doctrines or else that stuff continues to spread. Yep. So, And I don't have a prescription for how you do that, and that's where I think it gets sticky. It's really great to slow down and, and focus on people as individuals, but as our organizations, at some point, we do have to face mm-hmm. wicked ideas when they come. Any thoughts on that?
3: I mean, that's... Well, no, that and that balances that out, too, for what I said. I, I was a little concerned because it is true that I, I think we need to focus less, but I don't want people to deconstruct their faith and walk away from churches and say, well, that's an, an okay thing to do. Because we do need bodies of Christ coming sure. together and interacting with each other on a regular basis. There are things in. that
2: we can do together that we cannot do individually.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there is that balance to what I was saying earlier. That I, I don't want to be clear that I, I think there's power in the church, but I think it's just larger movements can get tangled up. And so, I don't know. I don't have an answer for the the larger yeah. church, like how, how a church does something the right way. And we don't
1: yeah. have to have an answer church. to yeah. throw out there. I mean, I just think that it's one of those deals that it it gets really complicated. And sometimes when people are sharing very simplistic answers uh, at these big meetings or in books and things, you have to be careful and take it with a grain of salt (laughs) because sometimes these are very complicated questions. Like one of the things that's been striking me as I'm preparing season six is I'm thinking about the moral majority of, you know, the 1970s and 80s. And I was really just burdened by this. And then I was reading about it and somebody said, it's, it's only really 20% of evangelicals in that time actually belonged to the moral majority. And I was like, what? Because if you read history books, it takes up substantial weight in that era. You know, even, not even Christian books, not even books about Christianity, but like actually just normal history books. And it seems like everybody in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s was the moral majority. It's not true. Uh, and a lot of the times, the loudest voices are the smallest groups, which is Something really humbling to think about.
2: My, my, one of my professors uh, in seminary said, A weak point always pounds the pulpit.
1: Yeah. What do does you that mean make by sense? That? Yeah.
2: So if you don't really have a leg to stand on, be really emphatic about it.
1: <laughs> like a preacher hitting the pulpit and exactly. then, oh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It really does make sense.
2: That's what, why you have a really strong pulpit. <laughs> his hope, his hope by telling us that is that we would not share weak points, that we'd stick with them, keep the main thing, the main thing, and work on that. And where we see people pound in the pulpit, lovingly, carefully try to let them know, you know, that's not the point. That's not the point of this. That's an adventure in missing the point of all this.
1: Another thing that's been really heavy on my heart is I've been preparing this is thinking about big movements, because I do think in some ways movements are necessary for the way that things function. Uh, that's how we hold each other accountable. That's how we get ideas. But they they can grow into be something that was not originally intended. Uh, so I think that what's been fascinating for me is to contemplate uh, not really where is this movement now, or where was it in the moment that I'm studying it in history, but what is it going to look like in the second, or third, or fourth generation? Uh, th- I was overwhelmed, and I would talk to Nick, and this is where one of the roles he serves very well. He lets me ramble and just try to figure things out, but I was talking to him about the Holiness Movement Mm -hmm. in the 1800s, and I I talked to Ray about that as well, because I couldn't wrap my head around it. It took me so long to wrap my head around it. I still don't know if I can fully articulate what it was, but that movement, which was people coming together to do something very good, How, how do we be righteous people? And then that somehow created the Pentecostal and charismatic movements. I mean, just who 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 can draw a straight line to those things? You know you would never you would never think that that would one would create the other. Uh, but that is what happened and and so often that's been heavy on my heart when I think about things that are really popular in Christian culture right now. Uh, like Nick was saying, the leadership culture is really popular. Entrepreneurship, especially in Christian media, is really popular right now. And it gets to the point where it's like, well, we're kind of tying things like owning rental properties uh, and, and sort of the rich dad, poor dad thing to Christianity. And so it's like, okay, well, that might work for this generation. But in three generations, four generations, is it going to be a sin if you don't have rental property? Hmm. You know, that's that's kind of how these things go unchecked. We, we, we're continually tying things to Christianity, sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. And, uh, and as we talked about on the show, that's kind of the whole point of the Truths podcast yeah. is to see how did these things get attached to Christianity and how can we get them away from that.
2: It's a big boat yeah, and it's got a lot of barnacles. It does. And I might have said this on the last episode. I always think of this show as scraping the barnacles off the hull of the boat. Yeah. You need to do that. We need to do that. We need, and I keep saying, keep the main thing the main thing. If we concentrate efforts on New Testament theology, that's one thing. If we concentrate efforts on New Testament praxis, that's another thing. Um, that Theology should lead practice, right? Um, so we need to concentrate on Jesus. I know you did Sheldon's, what would Jesus do from in his steps? But if we pay attention to what he's asking us to do, and we're obedient with what he gives us, he says everyone that asks, everyone that seeks, everyone that knocks will be given you know, and find and we'll have it opened. How much more will He give His Holy Spirit to those who are asking? I think we need to be asking. We need to be paying attention to that instead of thinking, oh, the way is this, it's easier. You know, it's easier to go this path. We're Americans. We want to get it done quicker, faster, easier. We want to get around anything, but day by day, you don't get around that. The reason that those uh, 12 steps and those kind of programs work by concentrating on one day at a time is because you're not going to get to five years without doing something today.
1: We'll be back after these messages.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. 9 Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind the scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. 9 Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com/audio to learn more. Welcome back to the Truce
3: podcast. Let's pick up where we left off. I, I, I honestly don't know if the giant movement thing is right to correct theology because I don't see that as the way Jesus set up the church. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time. Like, I do. I just see where, where you're going. Where it, it is nice to have some big movement then come along and shepherd everybody and keep everybody in
1: control. But I don't see that as the way that Jesus set up the church. So it's it's hard to. It's just harder to do on a big scale. It is. Which is. The the tough thing. and, and I, I completely actually understand what Nick I I really want to agree with Nick. But it's <laughs> been like a wrestle to be like, how do we how do we face a big issue without an organization? You know, and then I don't know that there's a perfect answer for that. But
2: is not the church that organization? The Capital C church, yes. The exactly. C. The then, church triumphant, all believers of all ages. Okay, but yep. how
1: do you how do you then do you have a mailing list? Like how do all those no, people get to know about no, how I don't do want to those... mail in me either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. But I mean I guess I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Uh how do you get Why? how do you get <laughs>
2: because, You're setting yourself up against the church triumphant yeah, that Christ yeah. has said, I will build this. Yeah. I will build it. Yeah. He's doing it.
1: Right. But let's say that there's a movement coming in, again, there was that movement uh, in the the middle of the 1800s where that I've talked about on the show a couple of times, that they are told, hey, guess what? Modernism is coming to the United States. It's just not here yet. How are you going to prepare? W- would, it, would they have been like, well, we as individuals are going to pray and we're going to do it? Or would they have had to spread the word, hey, watch out for this movement? You know what I'm saying? Well, let's see what happened when they did spread the word in a massive thing. We had a, a huge overreaction,
3: right? We, we swung too far the other way. So maybe that's our indicator that these big reactions cause too big of a reaction that we go too far the other way. So maybe that model that we've been used to when we form some big alliance and we come out ahead of it, we rah-rah we around it, it, is not working. The, the, the quiet prayer, persistent faith, what is the main thing, keep the main thing, seems to continue on, and that seems to be the plumb line straight down the middle that I think we should be aiming for, rather than make the pendulum swing just a little bit further our way, so I think we just hit the center instead.
2: And I think that's the end justifying the means. I think that, hey, they're organized, we should get organized! Yeah. You know? Well, we are organized. We're organized around a central concept that they will know that we are Christians by our love. Now, are we loving one another well? Maybe within individual churches, I think denominations and even individual local churches in some to some extent are a concession by God. They're not his major fine plan, right? We are doing that so we can separate, so we can get along with the people, right? It helps us to know that people agree with us. It's a concession, but it's not his plan. His plan is we all get together and we hash this out prayerfully because we love one another. Across churches, across denominations, across uh, lines. This, I know, sounds like, what in the world? That pastor's got an idealistic streak. I do. Idealism's okay. I I trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. (laughs) He's building the church. And occasionally, uh, we go through a harrowing experience, which could be our finest hour, and we find that we've got fractures that are unbelievable, like we didn't know we had and it's it's hard when that happens it's it's hard getting over that and it feels like a whole reorganization happening but if we are concentrating our efforts individually and collectively in our smaller groups it'll keep us from getting involved in crazy nonsense
1: but ray but nick <laughs> these people are coming for my family they hate who i am here's here's
3: my point we're we're so worried about safety and having things our way, we, I mean, I don't want to get too specific. We've, we've had a series of people in the church who people are afraid of in this physical building who people come up and say, aren't you worried about the safety? It's like, that's not our main concern. Our main concern is that they're hearing the gospel and that we go to that person and we share the gospel with them in a loving way as best as possible. Now, obviously, there are, we don't want gun violence and those sorts of things here, we don't. We really yeah, don't. We don't
1: want people abusing children
2: right. in no, the nursery. Yeah, and we pay attention to them. We do, yep. but we go to them, sure,
3: and and we we talk to them individually, and 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 so the, there's always that mentality that someone is coming for us. It's like, well, then let's let's meet them. Let's let's. I, in fact, I just I just played and in, in one of the Awana things, I played David, and uh, and when he's running after Goliath, he doesn't like, well, they're coming for us. Let's panic. Let's form a committee. He goes after Goliath and he faces the thing head on because this is what the Lord has called him to. The Lord has, faced us to go to, has called us to go to all people, all nations. That includes the people who we don't like, the people we consider ugly, the people who are unpleasant, the people who speak too slow, who walk too slow, who walk too fast, all these things, all these elements. He calls us to go to them. So good, let them come. And let us meet them with love and with grace, with forgiveness. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to serve our enemies. So Be good to lay our lives down. We're supposed to lay. Yeah, exactly. It's not about safety. So when they come for us, good. Let us continue to persist and share our faith. I mean, if you look through the martyrs of history, how many of them faced death only so that somebody who could see their their sacrifice? I mean, even the even the the centurion at at Jesus's feet. Sees who he is, who he lays down his life, and then and then is convinced. Mm-hmm. It's not beforehand; he's convinced after. So let them come first. Let us serve them. Let us be trampled on, and let us serve them so much that they find the Lord. Because we operate differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm.
2: Everything else is one-upsmanship. So if if we constantly are preparing for the battle, that's what we're going to get. That's that's what you get when you prepare for battle. You're looking. When you're a hammer, everything's a nail. You're just designed to hit something, right? But we're not. We're not designed to hit something. We're designed to take the blow, actually. And so it's it's hard, and and sometimes it's pretty upsetting. Um, Stephen. Stephen stoning, right? Saul was there holding coats, not throwing stones, but he was there. And it says specifically that he was in agreement. But then when Jesus confronted him. And Jesus confronts people in whatever means he sees as necessary. It may be street evangelism. It may be knocking him off his horse, right? But when Jesus spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church. And so if if we are going up against the church, we are persecuting Christ. So he's used to it. He's, he's used to it, especially from outsiders. He has some insiders that did a little bit of, you know, get behind me. Satan was Peter. So there is a history of human frailty and human fault, and our flaws show up. But they show up in the context of community, and Christ always, always takes all of that and puts it together for good. Peter would have been worthless without the denials. Satan's asked to sift you, and I just prayed for you. I didn't say, no, you needed some sifting, right? (laughs) Yeah, so he's going to use it. But I think taking Peter's advice is, you know, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, right? That's very good advice. Resist the devil, sure. Resisting the devil usually is individual, right? You resist the devil. He's the adversary prosecuting attorney. He knows the charges against you. He knows you're guilty. But you have to know you're forgiven, right? And humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, resisting the devil, stay vigilant. Stay vigilant for sure. Be on the alert, right? You've got to watch out for it. But you've got to watch out for the temptation to do things the world's way instead of God's way. I mentioned Exodus 14 a little while ago. Great. You have to edit that together. But (laughs) God tells them to go to a place where it looks like they will be defenseless. And when they get there, they feel defenseless. There's a lot of imagery that looks like this, like lambs to the slaughter. God showed up. He was there all the time. He directed them to go into a place that only he could get them out of. And the enemies following in behind that didn't put their faith in him. We're, we're destroyed by that. We are destroyed when we don't allow our faith to go in the right direction, right? If we start trusting capitalism or the interest rates or the, I don't know any of this stuff, you know, if we start trusting in that rather than trusting in Almighty God, we are destroying ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about salvation and losing your salvation or anything like that, but we mess up when we when we start doing things just the way everybody else does yeah.
1: One of the things that keeps coming up as I'm, again, I'm researching season six is this idea that uh, uh, our fears of the end of the world coming, uh, you know, the eschatology, end of the world stuff, have shaped so much of who we are as Christians, especially over the last few hundred years. That that, that reality of however you think it's going to go down, it leads us to believe that people are going to be against us. And yeah, the Bible's full of stories of people being against mm-hmm. the, the people of God. That's a given. But, uh, how we deal with that is very important. So I, I realize that a lot of the times in the in the recent past, the last few years, that I have been most ashamed of my own actions have been when I assumed somebody was against me. Right. I was dead wrong, and I acted as if they were against me. Right. Uh, the, the, one of the other things that struck me a lot is that um, I just looking around on Sundays. I've been trying to do this more. Nick and I are trying to get people excited for a Will Graham event here and uh, nearby. And uh, they're going to be holding classes. Uh, Will Graham is Billy Graham's grandson. grandson. And a uh, powerful speaker. This is a big evangelism event. We're trying to get people involved. And uh, we've been talking a lot about how over-involved people are at First B. So it's hard to get people to do stuff because everybody's got a small group they're leading. They're in Sunday school. Good, good things. Really mm-hmm. good things. And it's been amazing to, to just stop and look around and be like, you know, I know they're involved in this important thing. And I know they're involved in this important thing, and I know they're involved in this important thing. And how good it's been for my soul to, instead of being like, well, they're not being a part of my thing, <laughs> to be like, can you just imagine the amount of good work that's being done by godly people in this church? Because we, what, what I wrote down is, God, quiet, God-fearing Christians don't make the news.
0: Mm-hmm. And the it's... The vast,
2: unchronicled witness. Yeah, That's the way the gospel goes forward, the vast, unchronicled witness. Yeah. It's not all George Whitfield. Yeah. It's not all Billy Graham. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where bread can be found.
1: And it's been really humbling for me as a um, content creator, because I am, like everybody else, drawn to these big movements, the communism versus Christianity, the moral majority versus whatever, and because they make good stories, and they're important moral lessons, but it's really hard as you know a, a reporter to cover the vast unchronicled witness. Yeah, it is. Um, So I kind of want to draw our attention to that, that when we get this sense, and there are a lot of Christian podcasts now pointing out the the wickedness and the evils in the church, and sometimes we need those correcting voices. But if that's the only voice you hear, um, it can be really damaging. Mm -hmm. And it might be good for you just to step back and be like, are there God-fearing, awesome people that I know that I can just be thankful for? Yep. right now. I think that's such a a good practice and it's been very good for my soul. People that we can learn from too
3: and see their example and try to echo that and pass that down. I I see that there's a lot of people in this church, even from day one, when I came here 14 years ago, I could see people's witness, just this this loving passing on. And that's what we imitate, those good things. I was like, I want to be like I, I could say a lot of names. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like that person in this area. I want to be like this person in this area. And people who didn't necessarily have the means or the good looks, the the cut chins, the deep voices, those kinds of things, were the people doing the most, whether it was washing the the dish rags in the kitchen so that way people who could go in there could have dishes or showing up for a Wana,
1: um, Quietly filling the communion cups. Mm-hmm. Quietly <laughs> filling. Oh, my gosh.
3: I, now that I have to do that, <laughs> I, I miss those ladies yeah. so much. <laughs>
1: I guess my, my last closing arguments, and it's going to seem weird from a podcaster is that one of the, (laughs) as, as so many of the things are that I cover, um, I think one of the best things you can do is calm down, unplug from your media. Sometimes take your headphones off, look at who's around you. Mm -hmm. Think about those people. Be Grateful for those people who are around you. I, I get really struck. We live in the wealthiest town in the United States per capita. And not every week, but every now and then somebody comes up to me, a believer and tells me how awful the world is
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm like you live in the wealthiest community in the United States, the one of the wealthiest countries in the world. If you feel persecuted,
2: mm-hmm.
1: maybe you need to rethink that you know, and one of the things that's really struck out and again, studying history has been the impermanence of so many of the things that we hold on to. We did that one episode uh with the Adam's synchronological chart. And I was really struck by looking at Napoleon's tiny little block of just a few years on that huge influence he had, tiny little block. Mm-hmm. The work of God zoomed right past him. Right. He didn't even register. <laughs> like, but He was so small compared to the work of are God. Are we not a vapor,
2: right? Yeah. I, We're like, we all, it says, are like grass.
1: Yeah. So my momentary problems are, they're important, and I understand it's important to pray for them and, and be aware of them. But in the grand scope of things, God's work is the most important and valuable thing we can be doing, and the thing that will last longest and be remembered and have the most impact. All these other fears and momentary troubles and, well, the celebrity pastor messed up today or you know, whatever. I mean, is it important? Yes, but not really. Mm-hmm. You know, In the grand scheme of things, God's work will continue. Be faithful. I guess that's all I can say.
3: And that plumb line should always point us down to the Bible, too. That should be our, our anchor that holds us down. That's our weight at the bottom that, that keeps us in that center of God's will. Is, uh, is, that's, so that's another thing, is focusing on just what, what does the Scripture say and then acting, acting that out uh, amongst the people you see there. And, and, and it is really good to find a church. It has been very good for me to work here. It's very humbling because there's a lot of times I'm faced with my own weaknesses, um, and that's good, and that's good to see how much I need the Lord and how much I need the people around me to come alongside me and help me to draw closer to the Lord, let go of the things that drag me down and help me to reach out to other people it's it's really beautiful when you see the church when you see it work well.
2: when you see it work well it's there's there's nothing else better it's great yeah. yeah.
3: And we and we don't do that perfectly Mm-mm. and we, we we shouldn't claim to, but, but through those flaws, it is actually working the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. by shaving off those edges. And and that's the beauty of joining a local church. It's never gonna be perfect. But as I know a lot of your listeners struggle with that, struggle with going into a building, finding the right place. It's never gonna it should never be. It should never be a hundred percent exactly your fit, because if it is, you're not being shaped and grown and stretched and forced to learn. Chris and I went to a very secular, very out there college, and, and that is where I grew the most. It wasn't in a place of safety. It was in a place that forced me to know my faith when we found other believers, which took a while. it it Their interactions and their, they were coming from such a different place that it forced me to grow and know my faith and understand it better and deepen my faith. I, I was telling before we started... Before then, my Bible was a weight on a hamster cage to hold the lid down. But when I went to college and I had to know, we would be in any class or we'd be in a Bible study and somebody would say something, like, well, that doesn't sound right. I would have to dig into it. That's that's what this church, the, the church, the capital C. The church. Huh? Universal church is is built on. Is, is It grows through that strengthening of the body,
1: plumb line going back to the Bible. Amen. All good words, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, if Again, to listeners, if I can encourage you... Join a church, I think that's one of the takeaways. And remember that the means are more important than the ends, how you live your life. It, when you feel under attack, calm down, ask yourself if that attack is even real. And it might be, but try to live at peace with all men. And how can we show God's grace to each other through that? And and, and read your Bible. So thank you guys, this, is, this has been valuable for me. I hope it's been valuable for the listeners. There will be more bonus episodes coming up as the weeks go on. Keep listening, subscribe to the podcast. Please do tell your friends. And um, thank you so much for supporting the truce podcast. Please be praying for, for me, for all these guys, and uh, and um, and God bless
0: you all. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick. And Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.